Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Here's what we're doing. Brand new series today we're kicking off called The Walking Dead. And what we're doing is we're drawing parallels. We're drawing some imagery from this TV show called The Walking Dead. And if you are unfamiliar with it, let me tell you what The Walking Dead is all about. It is this post-apocalyptic kind of storyline where there are people who something has happened. Something has happened to humanity. Something broke loose in humanity. Some kind of infection. We're not sure. But when people die, they are coming back to life as something else. In this particular story, they're coming back as flesh-eating zombies. And if you get bitten by one, then the infection that you apparently already have is sped up and you become a zombie much faster. You become mindless. You become this, this creature, something terrifying. And so the story follows the, the, the people who are trying to survive that. And the point is, is that when you get bitten or when you die, whether you're bitten by a zombie or not, you come back as something else. And so we're drawing the parallels from that because the overarching theme that I want you to get, if you're taking notes from this whole series, we're drawing parallels from this because basically when you, eat, when you reach the end of yourself is where you'll find that Jesus begins, When you reach the end of yourself is where you'll find that Jesus begins. And that's the same thing in that story. When they they died, they became something else. And, of course, in scriptures it tells us that when we die, we become something else. And some of you are like, this is a very morbid message. Are you talking about when I die, I'm going to be in heaven? And, of course, I know that I'll have a new body and I'll be a new creature when I get there. Well, yes, there's that. There is the promise of of a new experience when we get to heaven to become something else. Our bodies, thank God, will be transformed. We won't struggle with our weight and eating too much Chipotle. But anyway, so um, we'll get to heaven. We'll be something else. But that's not necessarily what we're talking about. See, the scriptures talks to us, and and especially in uh, in Colossians 3.3, I love how Paul says this. He said, for you died to this life, to this life. All that this life has to offer, your way of doing things, your ideas of how you're supposed to live this life, you've died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Just like on The Walking Dead when they died, a new life begins, so you and I must die as well, and so that Christ can live in us. Jesus invited us when he says, anyone can follow me. The invitation is for you to come and take your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus said. And note the words he said, take your cross. He didn't say, take my cross. He said, take your cross. In other words, the cross is representative of God's plan for your life. See, the actual physical cross that Jesus died upon was God's plan for his life. Jesus was to be be the the key to our salvation. He was the Messiah, and he was destined to die literally on that cross. But Jesus invited us. He said, if you're going to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. A man carrying a cross is a walking dead man. You are headed towards your final destination. And Jesus said, when you do this, you, you, 
you're going to have this life, this blessed life, this life that he describes as full and fulfilled. So when you follow God's plan for your life, when you take up your cross in the same way that he did, you are saying you're dying to what you want, you're dying to your ways, and you say, I'm going to follow God's way and God's plan. Now, this is not a pretty picture, is it? We don't like this. Because it means that, that I'm going to have to stop being so selfish. It means that I'm going to have to give of myself in ways that I'm not comfortable with. I'm going to have to do things and behave a certain way and restrain myself certain ways here. I'm going to... All the things that it represents we're not comfortable with. And to be honest with you, taking up your cross is not something that Jesus was even comfortable with. Look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is there. This is his final opportunity to hang with his boys before he's taken into, cap into custody and brutally murdered on the cross. And he takes a moment to pray. And what does Jesus pray? He says, hey, God, I'm a little uncomfortable with this plan. And he did that by saying, hey, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, let's do it. In other words, if there's another way to save humanity, let's do it. I'm not really comfortable with the cross. It's going to sting a little bit. He prayed, let this cup pass. I don't want to drink this. In other words, I don't want to, I don't want to take this upon myself. And while we know that Jesus physically died upon the cross, let me tell you that Jesus actually died in the garden. And he died with these words, nevertheless, let your will be done and not mine. And that is the call for you and I to die. That is where we have to yield ourselves and say, I'm not really a fan of this. I'm not really happy with this. I don't really like the way we're headed. Your plan looks grisly. Your plan doesn't make sense to me. Nevertheless, let your will be done and not mine. Oh, and by the way, if you can do it another way, that'd be great. Thanks. But this is our call. This is the invitation that Jesus gives us. It is summarized in this. Two words. You ready? Come and die. That is our invitation. That's what he asks us to do. And he calls us to die to ourselves because there is a better life for us. There is a greater life that he has intended for us. The one that in this scripture, in Colossians 3.3, 3, says it's a, our real life. Our real life is hidden with Christ in God. And so through this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking for what that real life is. Because if it's hidden, it means we need to discover it. It means that we need to understand what real life is. And Jesus lays out what real life is in a very backward sermon that he preaches that we commonly know as the Sermon on the Mount. In it, you've heard of the Beatitudes before, I'm sure, and these are all found in the Sermon of the Mount. There is eight of them. And Jesus is going to explain to us through this sermon how to have real life. So when we die, there's this real life. He says, this is it. Now, what you need to understand about Jesus, if you don't know Jesus from a bale of hay, let me just wicka, wicka, break it down for you a little bit. Jesus was a rabbi. If you don't know what that word is, it means teacher. Jesus was a teacher of his day, and every teacher had what was called a yoke. 
the rabbi's yoke. And if you don't know what a yoke is, this is a big wooden piece of equipment that a farm animal would use, and they would put it on the animal, and they would use it to guide him or steer him as he did the work. And so the rabbi's yoke was not a physical item at all, but it was a set of beliefs. It was a set of interpretations of God's law and how we were to live our lives. And so each teacher taught different things about how they were to respond to God's word. And so Jesus is going to lay out his yoke for people. And Jesus said of his yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the people who are sitting there listening to Jesus are hearing of his yoke, and they're listening to it kind of like a puppy dog hears a strange sound. They kind of cock their head a little bit like, huh? Because what Jesus begins to describe as a blessed life, as a real life, is kind of backwards. It's a little counterintuitive. It's kind of like driving backwards. Does anybody remember learning to drive backwards? It was kind of difficult. I don't know if anybody struggles with it. I do, personally. When I go into a parking lot, if I can find a spot that I can pull into and then pull into the other spot on the other side, you know what I'm talking about? We got some pointing and some waving over here. I will pull into that next spot, much to the chagrin of everybody else that's pulling up and down that aisle, and they pull in and they see me pulling forward, and they're like, you know, they just, just took my spot. But I don't want to have to back up. I don't like it. I'll do it. I just don't like it. Not really good at it. It's counterintuitive to the way I feel like I should drive because everything's reversed, literally. Like the way you turn and all of it is weird. Doesn't make sense. Counterintuitive could be defined simply as doing something that on the surface doesn't make sense, but it works. Doing something that on the surface doesn't make sense, but it works. And this is the hidden nature of the teaching of Jesus. When he lays out the Sermon on the Mount for him, when he lays out the eight points, all of it's kind of counterintuitive. It doesn't really make sense. And people that are listening to it says, well, that's backwards. That's, that's not right. It doesn't feel good. But ultimately, when they engage with it, they discover that it is what works. It's what some scholars have called in the Bible the great reversal because it's so backwards. And so Jesus begins this backwards sermon And he begins each beatitude with the word blessed. Blessed are, and he goes on. So what does he mean when he says blessed? Well, some translations say, they translate the word blessed to the word happy. Happy are you when you do this. Happy are you when your situation is this. But I think that word happy is really too small of a word. It doesn't really help us understand what this means. So there's a a, a greater definition here. Blessed are you. When you do this, and I I believe that Jesus meant the blessing that you'll experience is the blessing that he describes in John 10.10. He says, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, I have come to give you a rich and satisfying life. Other translations say life and life to the fullest. This is a full and fulfilled life. This is what it means to be blessed. This is the life that Jesus is offering you, a rich and satisfying life. So if we want the blessed life, we need to figure out what this means exactly and how to have it. And since each verse begins that way, we need to have a definition. Here's what the blessed life is. It is living with a God-given joy and satisfaction regardless of outward conditions. It is living with a God-given joy and satisfaction 
regardless of outward conditions. See, we kind of, that's counterintuitive to us, isn't it? Some of you are kind of pushing back on that idea right now because you think that the blessed life is the stuff you have. The car you drive, the money you have in the bank, the job that you have, the status of your relationship, your trophy wife, your trophy kids, the trophies your kids have, you think the blessed life is all about stuff. We equate it with that. It's, it's the American dream. It's the pursuit of happiness. This is the blessed life. And it's all outward conditions that we associate a blessed life with. But Jesus will teach us that if you, the blessed life, what he is offering you is something that you cannot pursue and obtain on your own. It only comes from God. We only find it in our pursuit of him. So there's this blessed life, and Jesus lays out these verses and says, this is how you obtain it. So let's look at the very first beatitude in Matthew 5, 3, and this is where we're going to hang out all day, all day. Matthew 5, 3, here's what it says, blessed are the poor. Now, if you stop right there at those first four words, some of you are like, sweet, I'm in, I'm blessed, blessed are the poor, done, because I ain't got nothing. But he continues on, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor. Now, now people listening to this, and even if this is your first time hearing this verse, you're like, that doesn't really make sense. That, that doesn't really make sense. Blessed are the poor? Did Jesus misspeak? Was this a typo? Blessed are the poor in spirit. We believe blessed are the rich because we equate rich with being blessed. In fact, we use the word rich and blessed interchangeably in our culture, don't we? If you go to a rich man's house and you take a look at his house and you compliment him and say, hey, man, this is a really nice house. The rich man doesn't respond to you. Thanks, I'm, uh, I'm so rich. No, no, the rich man responds to you. Thanks, I'm I'm blessed. We use that word interchangeably, and so we equate blessing with riches. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, blessed are the poor, not just in possessions, but poor in spirit. And this word poor refers to the word destitute or bankrupt. Blessed are the bankrupt and destitute in spirit. Like, that's when I'm blessed? When I'm bankrupt? When I don't have enough? When I'm, when I'm broke? What does that even mean? Well, Jesus says if we want to be blessed, we, we have to figure it out. So let, let me just tell you this. I, I think a simple way to define what being poor in spirit means is to, is to, is to demonstrate it this way. I, I, I'm, I have a tendency when I'm walking on the streets or downtown, you know, I like to go to coffee shops downtown, and there's, there's a great little a tour of coffee shops, and I, I just love coffee. And so I find myself in, in you know, parking in back alleys because can't ever park on the street. And what winds up happening inevitably is that you start walking on the street and you get approached by somebody who asks you for money. And a lot of times people just pretend like they don't hear them. They look at the ground and continue to walk away or they lie and say, I don't have anything. And I've determined I'm not going to lie to them, but I'm also determined I'm, I'm going to kind of find out a little bit about them. And oftentimes when they ask me for money, I'll be like, my name's Aaron. What's your name? Because they're a person. They're a real-life person. They've got a story. They are valuable to God. And so I stop and I talk to them. What's your name? Tell me your story. Tell me how you got to this place. How much do you need? Sometimes they'll tell you they need three bucks. Great, here's three dollars. God bless you. 
And, and, and then I pray with them. Hey, I believe God answers prayer. Can I pray with you? Because they'll always share their circumstances. They'll always talk about their situation and what landed them there in the first place. And it's amazing. They've got the story down, don't they? Because they've talked to so many people. And it almost seems very cavalier the way they're talking about it. But really, they're in such a place of desperation that they've got to rattle this off to you so quick so that they can get to the next person and ask for help. Because they don't expect you to give them much than a couple dollars. And a couple dollars is more than what they need. So they rattle off their story, and it's amazing in every situation when you talk to them. They'll rattle through the, 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 the times of despair and the, the things that they've gone through that have landed them there in that place. But where they always seem to struggle in talking about their current situation is the fact that they have to ask for help. They hate it. Yes, their circumstances are bad. The situation that put them in that place is bad. But the greatest pain that they seem to experience when talking, you can see it in their eyes, they break, especially when I'm talking to men. They hang their heads and they're like, and this is really hard for me to ask for help. I think this is what it means to be poor in spirit. When you come to a place where you are so broken that you realize it and you have to ask for help. You have to ask somebody to help you. And so let's, we're going to break this down. We're going to look at this, this verse because I believe you are blessed when you reach a point where you realize you are broke. When you realize that you are broke. When you are bankrupt. When you can't fix it. When you can't, when you're, when you get, can't get yourself out of the hole that you dug. When you can't put the pieces back together. This is when Jesus says, you are blessed. It's counterintuitive, right? It doesn't make any sense. I feel insufficient. I feel like I can't do it. I'm broke. When you realize that, this is the first part of being poor in spirit. I, I, I just can't do it. I don't know about you, but I've, I've actually had to file bankruptcy before. I was a poor steward of my finances. I was young. I was stupid. Made lots of decisions. Got high in debt and credit. And though I tried to pay back my debts, though I tried to work with credit counseling services, they were still pounding on my door. See, I had to pay the debt for my yesterdays today, and they were still demanding my tomorrow. I had lost all hope of ever having a future again. My marriage was over. My life was in shambles. And I threw myself on the mercy of the courts because I got to a place where I realized there's no way I can pay these debts back. There's no way I can do it in the time frame in which they're going to do it. I was there. They were filing. They had a, a, a lawsuit filed against me. They were going to garnish my wages, and I had just gotten a brand new job, and I was worried that my job was going to fire me over the situation. You can lose a job over that kind of stuff in the first 90 days. And I felt like my, my world was collapsing around me, and I threw myself on the mercy of the courts. I paid back everything that I could, and receive mercy for the debts that I could not pay back. And in that moment when I realized I was broke, that I, that I couldn't pay, I was blessed. Because the phone call stopped. The threatening letters stopped. The people berating me because of my foolishness, who talked down to me on the phone. The people that came and took my car and Treated me like I was a criminal, like I was less than human. All of that stopped. 
I was blessed. And the moment that I realized and confessed, I was broke. Folks, we have to admit our spiritual bankruptcy. We have to get to a place where we can confess, can't do this. I, I, I just can't do this. Tim Keller describes being poor in spirit. He's an author and a pastor that, that I love to listen to and, and read. He says this, it means seeing that you are deeply in debt before God and you have no ability to even begin to redeem yourself. God's free generosity to you at infinite cost to him is your only hope. This is hard for us, especially for Americans, to, to believe that this is our only hope, that God is our only hope. He continues and says, on the contrary, you believe that God owes you some things, that he ought to answer your prayers and to bless you for the many things you've done. We can say that you are middle class in spirit. You feel that you've earned a certain standing with God through your hard work, and you also believe that the success and resources you have are primarily due to your own industry and energy. Middle class in spirit. This is where we are. We refuse to acknowledge our inability, our bankruptcy spiritually. And we believe that everything we have is because of our own efforts. And that because we've done everything ourselves, God owes us something. And so we refuse to go to him and ask him for it, to admit that we can't. And because of this attitude, because of this you owe me, and I shouldn't have to ask, I had a conversation with somebody this week who said, I don't understand it. Why am I going through all this? How come I'm dealing with all of this junk? I love God, but it doesn't seem like he loves me. He's not answering my prayers. And, and the, the sinners, the people that I'm not associating with anymore, they seem to get everything that they want. They feel like because of their own efforts that God should just give them everything. And it's this attitude that keeps us from confessing our spiritual bankruptcy. And it ultimately keeps us from the blessed life that God has for us. Because until we admit our poverty, we cannot be blessed. And it's sad that we miss out on all that God has for us. Because we need to keep up the image. We need to maintain the status quo. We can't let anybody know that we're hurting because God forbid we should actually have problems in our life. We don't want to say that we need God. You ever watch uh, reality TV shows? Anybody a fan of these things? There's these uh, DIY or do-it-yourself kind of television shows. And uh, in this particular one, this DIY show, uh, is it focuses on couples who want to get into flipping houses. This is taking a broken-down house and rebuilding it and then selling it for a profit. <laughs> and the, the hitch is uh, these people have no experience. They have no experience doing this, and so they enter the storyline, and the opening of the show is, you know, they talk about how, how excited they are, and they love each other, and this is going to be great, and we're going to make so much money, can't wait to do this. They hug, and they kiss each other, slapping high fives. They're ready to do the job, and then it cuts to commercial break, but when it comes back from commercial break, we find that not all is well in their lives, and all hell has broken loose, because the project is not going the way that they wanted it to go. It's costing more money than they thought it was going to cost. They don't know how to fix certain things. Or they've run into issues that they are completely, it is completely beyond their skills, their primitive skills or their uneducated, uh, un, they're, they're, they, don't, they don't know what to do. I don't even know where I was going with that sentence. It just kind of got out there. 
They don't know what to do. They're lost. And the wife is sitting there going, I knew this was a bad idea, and she didn't. And he's sitting there going, babe, don't stress. I got this. But he totally doesn't. And it's not until it becomes so painful for them. It's not until they confess, I don't know what I'm doing, that they'll reach out and ask for help. That they'll bring in a professional. That they'll bring in a contractor. That they'll get the help they need to recover. I think this is where we are. Jesus is saying this for us. We have to realize that we are spiritually bankrupt, that we cannot do it on our own. And he says that when we arrive at that spot, when we realize that we're broke, that we are blessed. It doesn't make sense. It just simply doesn't make sense. But he says that it's like a child, right? Like a child who comes to their parent and says, Mom, Dad, I need your help. Can you help me? And of course, what do mom and dad do? They say, yes, let me help you. We need to be like a child and approach him that way. We need your help. It's at this point that you are blessed. So being blessed means realizing you are broke, but it also means you are blessed when you reach a point where you ask for help. You are blessed when you reach a point where you ask for help. So you need to be realize and confess your brokenness, and then you need to reach out and ask for help. And this is hard for us because asking for help means that we can't help ourselves. This is counterintuitive for us. This is backwards for us, this asking for help. It doesn't make sense to us because why? Because, well, we celebrate self-reliance, don't we? That's what our community celebrates. In fact, you, we, we love it. We love self-help. It, is, it represents $11 billion a year of our economy. Self-help, 45,000 books on self-help. How many of y'all have read, ever read a self-help book before? Yeah, there's a few of you. The rest of you are stubborn. You're like, I can do it myself, right? I'm not reading that thing. There are no award of banquets for you getting help. We celebrate this self-reliance. We celebrate it. We get behind it and say, that's the way to go. You did it all by yourself. In fact, my kids, ever since they were the age of two, have learned that phrase. I can do it all by myself. I got this. They didn't want me to help them tie their shoes, even though it took an hour to get it done. I could have had it done in seconds. Let me help you. No, my kids are like this young lady. Take a look. Why about yourself? Why about yourself? Can I help? No. I'll help. I don't. You can help one more. Okay, okay. We'll help when we are here. Okay. Do you have, do you have this thing? Probably. You want me to help, Rose? No. Thank you. No, thank you. What do you want me to do? What about yourself? <laughs> what about yourself? <laughs> I'll do this one, so I'm gonna do that. You try! <laughs> From the age of two, this is how our kids are. We, we love being self-reliant, don't we? I can do this. When all dad would have to do is, done is reach back there and click that. We don't want to ask for help. We, we, we just don't want it. Look, this video is so celebrated that it's been watched over six million times on YouTube. That was just the one place that it was posted. Six million times. 
We celebrate this. It's no wonder we're obsessed with doing it ourselves. We celebrate the I got myself in, I'll get myself out of it. I can, I can do this. But Jesus said, if you want to be blessed, we have to confess our brokenness. We have to admit that we need help. We have to ask for it. Earlier this year, I, I uh, started developing some pain in my body, and, and uh, it was February, and um, I wasn't sure what it was from, but I didn't want to ask for help. I was, I was hurting pretty bad. It was affecting the way that I would sit. I couldn't sit for any period of time. Standing kind of hurt. Even going from the sit to stand position hurt. And Well, it was a private kind of pain, and I didn't want to talk about it, mainly because, I mean, you know, I mean, it was my tailbone. Like, it was, just, it was my butt. It hurt. And I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it with my friends, and so I, I talked about it with my pastor, and I asked him to pray. I talked with my mentors, asked him to pray. My wife knew, and, and I said, Lord, I don't... I don't want to go get this checked out because if I, well, if I go ask for help, I don't really know what that looks like and I don't know if I want to do the things that it takes to get help, if you know what I mean. So I avoided it. I, and I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that God heals. So I hung on to that. Lord, please just heal me. Lord, just heal me so I don't have to go and get checked out. Lord, I don't want to go to the doctor. But the pain persisted. And I'm what uh, some people would call um, a man. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I didn't want to go, but I finally, I finally decided to go to the doctor. And he, he checked me out, and he, he prescribed a regimen of anti-inflammatories, and, and I took it, but it, it wasn't helping. I had hoped that it would, but it didn't help still hurting. And I, I just refused to go back because I didn't like asking for help. I didn't like the kind of help I was getting. I didn't like the position that it put me in physically to get help. It was a skosh uncomfortable. So I didn't ask. Come July, and it started in February, come July, we went on vacation and I wasn't going to make a big deal about it. I was shifting in my seat. It was a 14-hour drive down to Florida 14-hour drive back, I was uncomfortable the whole time. But I wasn't going to make a big deal about it. I didn't talk to my family about it that we were visiting in Florida until my son was sitting having dinner, and he sees me shift in my seat. He goes, what's wrong, Dad? Your butt hurting? And my... <laughs> I was trying not to have it be the com topic of conversation. And my aunt says, what's wrong? Right, what, what happened? And I explained to her what we thought. It's a condition called coccidinia. I fell, broke my tailbone, didn't realize it. It healed in a wrong way, and now my muscles are spasming. I'm hurt. She said, oh, I had that happen. She said, yeah, it's an easy fix. All you have to do is, you, well, you, you go to the doctor, and, and they just re-break your tailbone. And I said, well, how do they do that? And they, she said, well, it's, it's kind of, um, well, it's kind of um, internal. And after she described to me what I was going to have to do in order to get fixed, I said, no, thank you. <laughs> Worry about yourself. I can do this myself. I'm fine. I'll just handle the pain. Then we went to El Salvador, and it's El Salvador in September, right? This started in February. Look how long this has gone on. Could have got help. Didn't. Didn't ask for it. Went to El Salvador, and we're on that bus. It's bouncing. No shocks. Nothing to absorb that. Bang! 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 Hours. 
And I wound up standing, and I was, at the end of that trip, I was so uncomfortable that I was sitting in the terminal because I believe God in his wisdom sometimes will allow the pain to get so great that you just get to a place where you say, I'll get help. I'll, I'll get help. I didn't like who I was through the pain. I didn't like the pain. And so in that terminal, in that airport terminal on the way home, I said, I'll get, pain. I'll get help when I get home. And I called and I found a doctor and now I'm in treatment and things are getting better. But imagine how much more blessed I could have been had I just gotten help sooner. Had I just asked for help. Had I just realized that that's what I needed to do. That it was going to make me uncomfortable. That it was going to put me in a position that nobody was going to enjoy. But, but, but I needed to get help. I could have been blessed way sooner, and it's here. Don't miss this. It's here. When we have to ask for help, when we finally said enough is enough, that Jesus says, you are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit when you say, I'm broken and I need help. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is yours. Because all that God has for you is yours at that moment. Strength, healing, Wisdom, guidance, all of it. Apply it to your situation. God has it for you. But he will withhold it until we say, I need help. Why? Because he's a good, good father. Because he loves us. And this is the way he has set things up. He wants us to come to him and ask. And so we have to, in our lives, come to a point where we say, I can't save my marriage. I can't control my temper. I can't break the addiction. I can't fix my kids. I can't restrain my lust. I can't put the pieces back together. And when you come to that place where you realize you can't do it and you ask for help, Jesus says, blessed are you. I love the message this is a paraphrasing, not a translation, of the same verse that we're looking at, Matthew 5, 3. It says it this way. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. In other words, when you come to the end of yourself. When you come to the end of yourself, this is where Jesus picks up. Blessed are you when you come to the end of the rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. I love how it says that. But most of us don't think it's a good thing to be here at the end of our rope. In fact, most of us have, have hemmed ourselves in and done and planned things to avoid being at the end of our ropes. When we reach the end of this rope, there's another one over here that we can grab onto. Financially, relationally, in careers, across the board. We make sure we don't get to the end of our rope. But Jesus is calling us to be at the end of ourselves, to be at the end of our ropes, to admit our spiritual bankruptcy say that we need help. If you look at the Bible, if you look at the Bible, and you ask people, what is your favorite verse? You find out why it's hard for us to ask for help. Because people quote the Bible, and they do it staunchly so. They say, well, the Bible says that God helps those who help themselves. And that's a great verse that is not found anywhere in the Bible. It's not. It's not there. The Bible doesn't say God helps those who help themselves. In fact, the Bible shows and demonstrates over and over again that God helps those who can't help themselves. They can't help themselves. The greatest miracles are attached to people who decided, I'm done, I'm broke, I can't do it myself, and I need help. 
The woman with the issue of blood, she hemorrhaged for 12 years, and she came to God and Jesus and said, I can't do this. I can't, I, I can't heal myself. The doctors can't make me better. Nobody knows how to help me. Help. And Jesus healed her. The centurion, whose servant was paralyzed and sick, he sent his own servant to Jesus to ask him for help because the centurion didn't even feel worthy enough to approach him. Some of us feel that way. We don't feel worthy like we can approach him. So the servant goes before Jesus and he says, hey, my boss, he wants you to come and heal his servant. Actually, he just wants you to speak a word and he knows that his servant will be healed. And Jesus does and the servant was healed in that hour. Blind Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus as he's walking along. He knows that Jesus is there. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heals him. Time and time again, we see where God helps those who cannot help themselves. This is who our God is. This is his nature. He desires to help us. Look at Psalms 107. It gives this beautiful picture. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. They nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he rescued them from their distress. Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Some went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. Lord, help! They cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. This is our God. That when you cry out, Lord, help, he responds. See, when you're at the end of your rope, this is when you are blessed, when you've reached the end of you. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now, as a pastor, I want to give you three points to tell you how to be blessed in the spirit. But I don't have them. I, I don't have them. Some of you are like, are you kidding me? You work one day a week and you're not prepared? <laughs> no. I, I think to give you three points on how to be poor in spirit would be doing a disservice to you. Because there's only one thing that you need to do in order to demonstrate being poor in spirit, and it's it's a humble cry for help. Whatever your situation is, it's a humble cry for help. I'm broke, and I need your help. That, that, that's it. That, that's all you need to do. One of the ways that we oftentimes ask for help is to ring a bell. I don't know if you've ever gone up to a customer service desk. We even have one here at Kids Ministry in case there's no one at the counter to help you because they're serving your kids or taking you to the restroom or something, there's a bell there that you can ring and you get help. I'm not one of those people that likes to ring the bell at customer service. If there's a sign that says ring bell for help, I will ignore it. I will stand there for an uncomfortable amount of time leaning across the counter, maybe even walking around going, hello, is there anyone here? I will not ring the bell. I won't because when you ring the bell, everybody in the vicinity turns and looks at you. I don't like all eyes on me. That's not, that's not, you say, says the guy on the stage. Look, I'm not up here because I want to be. I'm up here because I'm being obedient to God. Just so you know. You can ask my wife. This is not where I want to be. This is how God's gifted me. Seems backwards, right? Welcome to Jesus. 
Welcome to the cross. Welcome to mine. But we can ring that bell, and if I would just ring that bell, if we would just ring the bell, somebody would come and help. When you're in the hospital and you're laying there and you're sick, they have a, a call bell you can push. When you're in pain or you need help, and somebody will come and help you. Today, I'm going to ask you to ring a bell, and I'm going to give you a couple ways to do that. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and if you feel like God's leading you or put something on your heart you need prayer for, I'm just going to ask you if you need prayer, and you can participate by, with nobody looking around, just saying, Aaron, I need, I need you to count me in on that prayer. You can shoot your hand up. Or you can take out the connection card, fill it out, write down, what is it that God is talking to you about? What is it that you need to say, I'm broken here. I need help here, and my prayer team and I will pray for you this week. Is whatever you're going through painful enough that you're willing to call out for help? And the third way you can participate in this is at the end of our service today, we're going to worship together again. We're going to stand and we're going to worship together. You say, well, what do I do? Well, let me tell you something. Some people think that raising your hands during, during worship is kind of a cultural thing or maybe it's a denominational thing or maybe it's just, you know, at certain kinds of churches. Let me tell you, that is so not true because raising your hands is identified as an act of worship 39 times in the Bible. It is an act of saying, I am poor in spirit. I need help. This is coming to God as a child because how does a child come to you? Pick me up. I, I've fallen. Pick me up. I'm feeling lonely. Pick me up. I'm tired. Carry me. Pick me up. So as we worship at the end of service, maybe you just need to toss your hands up and say, God, I need your help. There's three ways you can participate in that today. Jesus said, I, I didn't come for healthy people. He said, I came for the sick. I'm not here for the righteous people that have got it all together. I'm here for the sinners that are broken. We begin our relationship with Jesus confessing our brokenness. We begin this journey following him saying, I don't have it all together. I'm going to rely on you for that. I'm going to rely on you to teach me how to live this life. And we lose out on the blessed life. We lose out on all that he has to offer us because as we begin to follow him, we start taking back the lead. We start doing it our own way. We lose sight of following him. We lose sight of our cross that we were called to carry in the first place. We need to remain, no matter what stage in our spiritual journey we're at, in a place of confessing our brokenness and our need for him. This is where we are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask if God's speaking to your heart about an area of your life that you're broken. Don't worry about anybody that's in this room. Don't worry about what they're going to say about you. Don't worry about, about how they feel about you. Don't worry if they judge you. They've got issues, all of us. The Bible says every single one of us has a sin issue. We've all fallen short. But if you need to ring that bell right now and you want me to pray for you, and you don't have to announce your specific way to me right now, you just let me know you want to participate in this prayer. If that's you, I'm going to pray. And if you want me to pray for you, would you just shoot your hand up now and say, that's me. Yeah, that's me. There's hands all over this room. That's me. Yeah, awesome. You can put your hands down. Father, we come to you just thanking you for your word. Thank you, you, that the real life 
is available to us. And though it's hidden, Lord, I believe that we can discover it. I believe that it's hidden in the backward ways of what Jesus taught us. Lord, to do this, it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel awkward. It feels difficult to say, I can't. Difficult to, even more difficult to ask for help. But we have to do it. So Lord, in this moment, so many people have asked for help. Lord, whether it's relationally, maritally, as being a parent, emotionally or physically or in, in their jobs or in the calling that you've given them, whatever area of life it is, maybe it's in their habits, maybe it's in their mind, Lord, in whatever way that they would represent, I can't and I need help, Lord, I pray that you would meet them at their greatest point of need, God, and that you would do a miracle in their life now. This is who you are. This is what you've asked us to do. And as we confess this need, meet us here. As children, as we throw our hands up and say, I need you, pick us up and carry us, Lord. As we continue to pray, there are others of you that are in this room. You would say you would not identify yourself as a Christ follower. You would not identify and say, I I'm living a full and fulfilled life that comes from knowing Jesus. Yeah, I may be blessed and I may have lots of stuff. I may have lots of money. Or maybe you don't have any of those things. Maybe your life is broken at every turn. And right now you're feeling a pull to a relationship with God. You're feeling a pull to this blessed life that Jesus offers. A life that is full and fulfilled, I promise you, is what he will give you. And the amazing thing is, is all he's asking for you to do is accept his free gift of salvation. The Bible says the wages of our sin, in other words, the payment or penalty of our sins, doing things our way, is eternal death and hell. And you have a choice about going there and paying for your sins there yourself, but Jesus says you don't have to. I've paid, for the, I've paid the price for your sins, and you can spend eternity with me in heaven. And oh yeah, you can have a full and fulfilled life here on this earth. I'll make you something new. I'll transform you. I'll forgive you. And I'll give you the blessed life. If you want to be part of that life, here's your opportunity. Here is your opportunity to do what we call saying yes to Jesus. Yes to his lordship. Yes to him being in charge, charge of your life. Yes to learning to follow him step by step in every avenue and area of your life. You don't have to be perfect. Just come as you are. And let him change who you are. If you're ready to take that step, that journey, and you want to begin it today, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to be counted in on that prayer, would you say, Aaron, that's me. I want to be counted in on that prayer. Shoot your hand up now. Say, Aaron, that's me. Count me in on that prayer. Don't worry about anybody around you. Don't worry about what anybody's going to say. They didn't lay down their lives for you. Jesus did. If you're ready to say yes, shoot your hand up now. Do it now. Others of you that think you can put your hands down. Others of you that are watching by Periscope or listening by podcast, I believe that God will meet you right at your greatest point of need, and that is your need for him in your life. If you'll pray this prayer with us right now, he'll meet you there. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this opportunity. The Bible says that tomorrow is promised to no man. God is calling and speaking to you now. Respond. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe you came to this earth and that you died that you rose again from the dead three days later. I believe that you did this in one of the greatest demonstrations of love for humanity. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Show me how to live for you. 
and I'll spend every day doing that. I'm at the end of myself here, Jesus. Make me brand new. Give me the life that you've promised as I follow you, a full and fulfilled life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.